Perspectives with Catherine Toon. I am super pumped to have Bradley Jerzak uh, on. We, you've been on before, but it's just always a joy. You always carry so much. You're running with new material all the time. And so I'm just super excited with kind of what God's going to do. We're going to have fun conversing about these things. Uh, there's a richness that Bradley carries. And I thought for those of you who are not familiar, I did swipe his bio. So let me just give a little background and you will want to follow Bradley for sure. So I love this. Bradley Jerzak, a prairie boy, migrated west to Mary Eden in 1986. Brad served as a pastor and church planter for 20 years, where he developed a heart for restorative justice for people with disabilities, addictions, and economic disadvantages. In 2009, Brad uh, began PhD studies in political theology at Bangor University in Wales. After graduating, he was invited to teach at Westminster Theological Center in the UK, then at SSU and IRPJ, eventually becoming Dean of the Theology and Culture Program. He's authored numerous books, uh, including Her Gates Will Never Be Shut, A More Christ-Like God, a more Christ-like way, the pastor, and his newest, a more Christ-like word, reading scripture the Emmaus way, um, which is coming out, I believe, the 21st of July. I'm super excited to to be talking about this and to be grabbing a copy myself. So thank you, Bradley, for coming on. My pleasure. I'm glad to be back. It's good to see you again. Yay. I love that. So, uh, and we were talking before we started recording a little bit about kind of what prompted you to write this book. What, what was the promptings this, with this particular topic? Yeah, I would say there's two big stories there. One is, you know, I, it is the third in a trilogy of books about mm-hmm. a more Christ-like God, way, and word. So the first one was about uh, re, re-imaging our conception of God to be far more Christ-like. Mm-hmm. And then the second one was that, that Christ has shown us a way to live, a way to be, a way to be human, not just Christian, but that. Um, that, so we call that a more Christ-like way. Uh, when we refer to a more Christ-like word, I'm actually not talking about the scriptures. I'm talking about Christ, but then also mm-hmm. how the yeah. scriptures are a testimony of the person of Jesus Christ. And so I, I like to joke that um, that the word of God is infallible and errant and inspired. And when he was about 18, he grew a beard. The point <laughs> being that the word of God is a person I'm and the sorry. scriptures are a beautiful testimony about him. Mm-hmm. Um, the second motivator then is, is to help people read scripture in ways that are, frankly, more ancient and less toxic. And so what we've run into especially in the last two decades, are either uh, horrendous modernist interpretations of Scripture that make God seem like a monster or ugly or political or whatever drives people away, or people have just set aside the Scriptures completely. And I I run into people every single week who, who say, 
I can no longer read the Bible. I get so triggered. I'm like, how is this possible? Well, it's possible when we misread scripture. So um, I believe that a more Christ-like word is going to help people uh, find fresh motivation and inspiration to pick it up again and like gobble it up like I do, because yes. I just think it's a magnificent uh, work of art that points to the masterpiece himself. Absolutely. And and he's so gorgeous. The word that points to him is designed to be gorgeous and designed to be life-giving. And I, I love that because you were saying we're, we're, we're pointing to a person who, uh, you know, who is all that. And, and we're in relationship with that person and he gets to unveil the word that points to him, which is so gorgeous. I agree with you. I, I've, I've been really, it's interesting. It seems like there, there's so many people who if it's been either a toxic thing uh, and they just can't, um, can't deal with it anymore. So you kind of throw out the baby with the bathwater, this gorgeous baby, or, um, or that we're reading it in ways and embracing it in ways that are not life giving, uh, but you still kind of hold on to those uh, ways. And, you know, we're, we're, we're to be led by the spirit that points to him. And part of how he does that is, is through scripture. And I love the way you said to gobble it up. I like to spread it on toast personally, but, um, however that works for you. So tell us, um, tell us a little bit. You, you, you specifically quoted the Emmaus way. So yes. there is a, a, a particular allusion there that I'd love to pull out. Sure. So um, the subtitle of the book is Reading Scripture the Emmaus Way. And right away, that that's an indication that there are different ways of reading Scripture. There's mm-hmm. different approaches to what we call hermeneutics, which is a fancy mm-hmm. word for interpretation, mm-hmm. how we interpret the Bible. And um, the way I was taught to interpret the Bible in college and seminary was largely, I would say, modern. And by modern, I mean le- not ancient, like less than 400 years old in many cases, just coming from the 19th century, using principles of how you would interpret, let's say, Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And now we'd apply them to the Bible. And this would be either in the conservative church, it was called mm-hmm. the literal, grammatical, historical approach, or in right. the liberal church, it was mm-hmm. the um, uh, the critical and they didn't just mean criticizing, but, you, you know, critical historical studies and so on. And, right. and what I noticed about both those groups is that they weren't interpreting the Bible the way Jesus does. Or Paul, for example, or right. John in his gospel. They're doing something quite different. And when I raised this in college, they said, well, we don't really, you know, that's true, but we don't know exactly how they did it. Or if we do, we shouldn't emulate them. And I'm thinking, that's that's crazy. Uh, we have been taught how to interpret the scriptures by Christ himself. And it started that day on the road to Emmaus. So on Easter Sunday afternoon, two of Christ's disciples are on the road to Emmaus and they run into Jesus, not knowing it is him and that he's risen. And they are so glum, despite the reports of the empty tomb. They do not understand what happened. They are troubled and they tell Jesus so about like, we thought he was the one we were waiting for the Messiah and and we were sure it would be him, but now he's been crucified and we don't know what to do. And so the way Jesus responds is, is absolutely remarkable. What he does on the road to Emmaus is he, he opens the scriptures to them and he shows them from 
Moses, the prophets, mm-hmm. and all the scriptures. That wow. is their, what we would call the Old Testament for, among Christians, mm-hmm. their scriptures. He shows them from across the entire breadth of the Old Testament mm-hmm. how these scriptures testified that he must, the Son of Man or the Messiah, must suffer right. and then enter into his glory. So in other words, when he showed them from the Old Testament how the death and resurrection of Christ is prefigured there. That's like a movie trailer prefigured there. Mm -hmm. Then they could make sense of what had happened that weekend. So he opens the scriptures and then the scriptures open up the events. And from that time on, that's exactly how they read the Bible. Um, Yes, they're going to maybe talk about this at some point, but there's layers to interpretation, the first being literal, the second being a moral. But ultimately, you are not done with any Bible text until you've seen how it points to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we will see that through the New Testament, but also amazing works in the second century. Um, one example is from Irenaeus, who was the grand disciple of John. And what Irenaeus does is he writes a book called a demonstration of apostolic preaching. And the whole book gives examples of how the apostles preached the gospel using only the Old Testament. Wow. So he's showing us how it's done. He's yes. explaining how it's Amazing. done. And so now I'm thinking, why was I told we don't know how to do it? We were trained how to do it. We just set aside those ancient ways right. that were taught by the people who gathered these books. Why would we do that? And I think it's because we're we think we're so smart. We're so progressive. We know the right way to read the Bible. And these guys, you know, who are they really? Well, they're the ones who gave it to us. Right. So I think we should pay attention to them. Absolutely. And and have the fruit, I mean, have have the fruit of that, right? So we so it's it's so interesting when you hear people talk that were really oblivious of how things have been handed down and what's already been gifted to us. So we're not going to those ancient um, ways of understanding and we just miss out. And then we wonder why we're struggling so much. So um, that that's amazing. And I, I love that, uh, unpacking that. Um, so pointing out the Emmaus way, um, uh, what other, what else do you want to share? Well, so that includes then some ways that we can reframe the Bible that make it a lot more fascinating or a lot less toxic. So mm-hmm. maybe uh, one thing I want to say up front is some of the reasons people set aside the scriptures range from on the one end of the spectrum, those who find it either boring mm-hmm. or irrelevant or confusing, or cryptic. And so it's just sort of they're overwhelmed by it, and they don't kind of don't get the point. But then there's others, uh, let's say those who ultimately may, may become atheists uh, on the other end, where they're just like, I read this, and it's just so implausible, and it feels magical, and it's full of immorality. There's all sorts of abuse and violence. It's R-rated, frankly, and even the, the biblical acts of divine um, terror are mm-hmm. monstrous. So mm-hmm. I just, so now it's, instead of being bored, they're offended, right? So they set it aside. I'm like, well, yeah, if you read it as a literalist, right. 
the flat um, rating. Mm-hmm. But, but um, I think there's some ways to reframe it. So mm-hmm. I ju- I'll, I'll just list three. So one is if we could see it as polyphonic, that means more than one perspective, more mm-hmm. than one voice, more mm-hmm. than one worldview. Mm-hmm. These are like Jewish rabbis in a conversation. Right? I don't know if you've ever seen this, but I, I popped in on a synagogue. I was passing through to visit in, in Hebron and oh. There's an old building there that where they keep like um, the bones of, I think, Abraham, allegedly, right? <laughs> and so in this building, one side is a mosque and one side's a synagogue. So I'm walking through it, and there's these rabbis, and they're intensely debating. Yeah. Um, you can watch that in front of your eyes in your own Bible instead of trying to make it all harmonize and smooth it out and mm-hmm. tie it off with a ribbon. Mm-hmm to be fascinated by competing voices, mm-hmm. a text in travail that is creating such tension that it's heading somewhere. And where right. is it heading? That God himself must show up to set us straight and be our rabbi. Ooh, right. Um, the another way rabbi. of seeing mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's polyphonic. That means, yeah. you know, it's a multi-voiced conversation. And this text in travail, it's going to, to bring about... Um, meaning in, in in the arrival of Jesus. Another way I see it is that it's an epic drama. So yes, there's 66 books in the Protestant Bible. Yes, many genres, fascinating authors, some strange narrators, lots of characters. And it seems like all a jumble. But if you stand back or let's say fly over it from 30,000 feet, what you see is this sweeping epic drama of redemption. And I love the word you use. I don't even think I used it in my book anywhere. You said this is designed. Mm -hmm. So you may have individual authors writing to specific people groups in their era about particular problems. But there's also this sense of the whole, that that this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And and when you see it as as an epic saga of redemption, then all the little pieces make sense and they fit together. And so um, let's say you find a chapter that's really horrible. It's like, well, then I don't like the Bible and I don't like God. It's like, well, wait a minute. Did you really throw out the Lord of the Rings because you didn't like Sauron? Right. Or maybe maybe you were annoyed because of, um, you know, Snape and Harry Potter. So, we, so right. would the, would these books be better if you took out the chapters that you didn't like? The, the, and the characters, chapters, you, yeah. You'd ruin the book. Right. How can you have the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe without the witch? Right. And exactly. so in the same way, this great span of scripture includes really troubling episodes. Right. But they're episodes about our lives, our story with mm-hmm. God, where and then he, the and then the primary author enters the, the book himself. And then just finally, I, I like to reframe it by saying the, then the whole, when you read the Bible with Jesus as your rabbi and mm-hmm. as the point, right? then the whole Bible becomes the New Testament. In other words, mm-hmm. every part of it fits somewhere in the gospel story. So gorgeous. You could, you could boil down the gospel to Psalm 23. You could mm-hmm. boil down the gospel to the parable of the prodigal son. Mm-hmm. You would take those two examples and go, mm-hmm. every, every book in the Bible fits somewhere in that story. Mm-hmm. Right? 
podcast. So okay. those are some of the ways I reframe it that have been very refreshing for me. Was there, was there a time when you had trouble yourself engaging with the scripture where, where you were, you know, you felt burnout or repulsed or, you know, whatever, just in, in travail or whatever for you personally? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for me, I would be on the end where I, uh, of the offended side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah. I would be reading. My problem is that I actually read the book. A lot of folks, <laughs> the Bible is just wonderful because they don't read it. Right. But when you like start reading passages where, where if you read it literally, God mm-hmm. is the author of evil. There's so many passages like this. Truly. For me, one of them was First uh, Samuel 15, where God allegedly, well, let me put it this way, very carefully. The author has his narrator, mm-hmm. which isn't the same thing. If you've ever if you understand how literature works, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. author has the narrator ha- have God tell Samuel, tell Saul. Right. That he needs to go wipe out the Amalekites and oh, kill every man, woman, and hard. child and to show no mercy and make sure you kill the babies too. Exactly. And then I had to ask myself, if if this if I read this just as um just as it says, like the face value sort of first reading. Right. You've got God as the author of genocide right. and a merciless, uh, violent monster commander of, of uh, uh, you know, genocide. And I thought, could the could the Abba that Jesus revealed have issued those commands? Could Jesus, who I believe to be God the Son, right? command somebody to go show no mercy and wipe out a people group, including the babies. And to somehow justify that morally, I couldn't do it. Right. Right. And I was tormented by this. And uh, there were other passages. Well, one other I'll just mention, you know, where I was so troubled to read what looked like a command to Moses, who he passed on to the people that Mm -hmm. when you come to a, to uh, to us to the cities that you're going to conquer, mm-hmm. offer them peace first. If mm-hmm. they accept your offer of peace, enslave them all. If they reject your offer of peace, oh. kill all the men. Oh, enslave the women and the children. And if you see a woman you find attractive, cut off her hair, her fingernails, her toenails, remove the clothes of her people, dress them up like your own people, have her for a month. If after a month you don't find her attractive anymore, you can uh, just don't kill her. Um, let her go. But but if you still like her, uh, marry her. Okay, so the Abba, Papa of Jesus commanded that? Uh, come on. So I started contacting my evangelical Bible scholar friends, and I'm, and I'm challenging them on this, and the answers they gave me were horrible. I'm, I'm just like, and so you, you've got to do better than that, that right. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit motivated this. And, and so they were worried I was going to throw out the Bible. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm not going to throw out the Bible. I'm going to right. learn how to read it the way Jesus taught us mm-hmm. to read it, because Jesus doesn't read it that way. And that's certainly, and he's not afraid to say, you've heard it been said, but I'm mm-hmm. telling you. So he gets the last word. That's what makes him the word of God. Ding to ding. He gets the last word right. on what to do with texts like that. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. and I, I have to say those those two examples. It, it was like 
I, I had to kind of let him hang because I, this is not the God I know. I have no idea how to reconcile that, but that's not God. So yeah. God, you're going to have to unpack this. And right now it's in kind of limbo in mystery, but that is not your heart. And, yeah. and, and so it's so beautiful to speak to these things. You know, the other thing that I think is so amazing is that God, you know, if we look at humanity and how, I mean, horror, I mean, just nightmare we are to each other, how much we can hurt and destroy and take pleasure in it. Right. Um, and all of the wickedness and all of that. Um, I mean, that is also reflected in scripture, right? Because it doesn't whitewash things. And so, so much of our own fallen ways of being are projected onto this lovely God. But I, I love the, the fact that he meets us there in our worst nightmare and then he opens up, okay, so this is what I am and this is who I am. And I, I just... Yeah, you just have to fall in love with him all over again. But anyway, keep on going. I'm, I'm eating this up. This is amazing. No, that's so good. And, and, and I would say then, we have no business in those texts without Jesus. No good Jew, no good Jew would right. enter those texts without a rabbi. And right. we have one. And so then what we need to do is say, we will not read a part of the story by some narrator who is really an extension of the Samuel character. This right. is what I discovered from writing a novel with Paul Young, um, that the narrator is not the author's voice. The narrator is an extension of the character. So in 1 Samuel 15, mm -hmm. the narrator is an extension of Samuel's perspective. Mm -hmm. Samuel's perspective right. in that passage is this. God wants obedience, not sacrifice. Right. Jesus comes along right. and he says, God wants mercy not sacrifice. So you've heard it been said, show no mercy, but right. I, the word of God, God himself, mm -hmm. am telling you that mercy triumphs over judgment and that the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and so on. So then, well, then what should we just cut for Samuel 15 out of the Bible? Absolutely not. For the very reason you said, it is mm -hmm. because it is a mirror mm -hmm. held up to our practices of doing horrible, not only doing horrible things in this world, but then projecting that onto God. Doing it in the will. name of Jesus. In right? the name of Jesus, we're going to go slaughter you, um, bomb those people, and kill them all, and and, um, and it's like, well, we're doing it again. And so, in First Corinthians ten, in the first paragraph, Paul actually talks like this. He he treats the, these are cautionary tales mm -hmm. of how not to be, well. you know. <laughs> and so <laughs> when you. I see something horrible, instead of saying, well, see, God is horrible or the Bible's horrible, mm -hmm. I'm saying, wow, the Bible sure holds up the mirror to, to the human condition mm -hmm. and our, and the practice of actually religious violence. Right. And it's critiquing it, not even only through Jesus, but within the book is a, it's critiquing those practices, not glorifying. I mean, that is, is so amazing. And then God dives in human form to meet us in those alienation, to lift us up the way he originally designed us. I mean, it's it's so, it's breathtaking. Um, yeah. Wow, thank you. He that's, even undergoes it, you know, right. like he experiences the harm that we do right. directly so that he can empathize with us and be a faithful high priest for us. Yeah. 
make things right without having to kill any more people, you know? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And, you know, the beautiful thing is he experiences that because the thing is, if, if there's a God, if we have a God that hasn't experienced my level of depraved way of thinking, depraved way of being, you know, nuke them all, whatever that is, um, that hasn't, he's not met me at the place where I can actually receive his salvific work, right? Because he's not been at, at the, the lowest, even below my way of thinking, but at my way of thinking where he can meet me and pull me out and pull me up into his way of thinking and being. And that's just... Amen to that, you know. It's amazing. That, that's, I think you see that especially at the end of Hebrews 2 and then again in Hebrews 4. And it's, it's just saying, you, could, you know, we this is a God we can love and trust and worship because he has put on human flesh and he has borne our wounds, both the ones we've experienced and the ones we've inflicted. Yes. And, and from that point, he, um, he is on a project to restore all things and to reconcile us to himself. That's a God I can trust. And, you know, some of my friends that, in losing the Bible, they've also lost Jesus, and they've gone back to just like, well, let's just call him universe. And I'm like, the universe doesn't love you. Watch, watch a National Geographic show tonight <laughs> and tell me about the universe's love for you. No, I I need a God who's I, I need a God who's who bears my wounds. And so I was asked the other day, what what convinces you of the deity of Christ? And it's like the same that was for Thomas when he saw the wounds, my Lord and my God. Okay, that's a God I can follow. Oh, wow, it's it, so good. So good. I mean, you know, as you kind of rediscover these things, you fall in love with God again, and you fall in love with the word that points to him as the word, right? Yes. Um, and and we start, we start, our vision starts to clear. Um, and I and I love what it talks about when they said our hearts were burning within us. So, you know, um, God in our hearts, God in, in, in us starts to, to burn. He's passionate at pursuing his kids, particularly, I mean, all of, you know, in every place we are, but particularly in the ways that don't know him and the ways that are operating in these fallen ways of being that we can do these horrific things to one another and justify it in the name of some sort of false God or whatever that is. And, and he's just after that and he's relentless and it's, I mean, it really is amazing. And I you know that's my concern too for the people who are like, well, we, we don't need the Bible. Oh, I mean, personally, I think we need everything. <laughs> I think it's out there. We need it. And God gave it to us. Um, but we need to know how to handle it so that it is actually life giving and not death producing. And, um, yeah, thank you for, for all of that. So, um, so, continue about the Emmaus way and um, how, sure. whatever else, wherever you want to go. This is awesome. Yeah, you know, so one thing about the Emmaus way, when Jesus is talking about Moses, the prophets, and all the scriptures, sometimes we think, well, okay, let's go find these prophecies about Jesus. And I want to say there are a bunch, but it's much bigger than that. Far more sweeping than that. And so, again, I, you know, I, I'm enough of still, I've still got a little Baptist in me that I like to do everything in threes. So <laughs> I was thinking about three ways that all these stories prefigure Christ. So mm-hmm. the, the first way I would say is, um, whenever you see, um, let's start with suffering. 
Whenever you see suffering in Scripture in the Old Testament, um, you're seeing a preview of the much greater suffering of Christ. So when the Jesus or his apostles and, and those in the coming uh, centuries would, would write about this, they, they would look for suffering. So they would say, okay, when Joseph is thrown into the pit right. by his brothers, when Joseph, when Daniel is in the lion's den, when Jonah is in the belly of the fish and so mm-hmm. on. And, and especially when they're thrown into something, especially right. when they're enslaved somehow as right. the people of God are enslaved or they're in exile, wherever there's suffering and affliction. Yes, that's bad, but it's a preview of the far greater suffering, the ultimate suffering where Christ bears the sins and sorrows of all human beings for all time um, on himself, Lord. beginning, especially, well, as a human, but mm-hmm. then it really comes to a point in Gethsemane and then mm-hmm. on the cross. And so they would say, oh, look at um, all of that suffering among the people is pointing back up forward to the cross. Right. But also then that means all of your suffering has been born there as well. So it gets really mm-hmm. personal. Um, second, every victory in the Old Testament, even really dubious ones. Where they're slaughtering people. Wow. It's just, it's a shadow of the much greater victory of Christ mm-hmm. over Satan's sin and death where not one human being other than him dies for that. So it's a far greater victory because it's the victory of love instead of violence. It's, so, so these are, these are victories, but they're also, you know, and so let's say, who is it that raises their, the, their arms. It's Moses uh, in right. the one battle. And they go, oh, look at that. Yeah. Two arms are yes. going up. This is a shadow right. being cast back by Jesus, whose mm-hmm. arms are reached out on the cross. Or um, whenever they, and they're, they're really creative with it. They're like, inside the Ark of the Covenant is Aaron's budding rod. Mm-hmm. What's that about? Oh, right. it's a piece of wood. That's the cross. Mm-hmm. And there's there's something living coming from what is dead. Oh, that's the resurrection. And this is this isn't just a fanciful, uh, creative way of reading. This is how Jesus does it, and He says, "I want you to read it this way. Otherwise, you're going to get all hung up on these stories." Um, and then the third way also is injustice and betrayal. So anytime you see the prophets indicting the people of God for their injustice and betrayal of one another of God. Um, it is also it also prefigures the great betrayal of uh, the temple establishment, the Roman authorities, and the mob when they conspire together to commit the worst sin in history, deicide, which is the murder of God. And so, so that's when you start thinking, oh wait a minute, every suffering, every victory, and every injustice, all of it is is fulfilled in in this epic apex climax of the narrative in Christ. And then, and then I guess it's a way to paint all of reality then, not just all of scripture, right? but every, every betrayal I face, mm-hmm. every victory I win, mm-hmm. every time I suffer, I can begin to identify with the one on the cross who rose from the dead and, and how, um, that story becomes my story in a very healing way. That's amazing. And he does that for every single human being. Yes. Right? I mean, it, it is, it is so sweeping. You know, I, I remember um, hearing someone say that sometimes God 
writes in such big letters you can't read it, right? It's so sweeping, we miss it. Yes. And so going from this 30,000-foot view down to looking at it, we can start to glean it. We put it in context, the word in context, but also our lives in context. And then there's meaning in things that seem meaningless, right? Yeah. We are meaning makers. And, and mm-hmm. you know, if... If you remove if you remove Christ from the stories, I'm like, what do you have left? And I just saw an interview in the last week where someone said, you know, um, the new atheists kind of they they turned on Christianity because they saw the injustices and hypocrisy. Okay, but what they wanted to keep was the humanism, but they don't recognize that that humanism emerged from Christianity. I mean, the father of humanism is Erasmus, the great theologian, and and, and the, the foundation of it was Christianity. So then, what they did is they they they, they start to remove um, the the Christian story, and they're like, we're going to have humanism without it. But now it's empty. So what are they going to fill it with? So the guys that were atheists maybe um, twenty years ago, who all they talked about was like anti-creationism and stuff like that, now they're like. <laughs> This is too empty. We need to fill it with something. So they end up attaching things like justice, mm-hmm. uh, social justice in the world, sure. um, uh, equity to, let's say, with women, um, racial equity, all of that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's lovely, but it's a Christless version of it where there's no redemptive path. It's just, it's a new religion. Yeah, there's no redemptive path and there's no redemptive power. Right? right. So we're powerless in this. Well, we have a problem and we just have a problem. We're going to unite around the problem with no solution. And yeah. so you do, and then, and then you spin off into despair because there is no solution and we're just, um, riled up about things that, yeah, there is Houston. We have a problem, but we have no way out. Yeah. You know, as long as they borrow a bit of their old Christianity, like love and forgiveness and, and reconciliation, you can last a while. But I, mm-hmm. what I've been watching is that some of the folks in that camp now, within months, mm-hmm. they are they are mocking love mm-hmm. as powerless. Yeah. And so what they want to return to is a force. It's like, well, we've tried that before. It mm-hmm. looked like, well, it looked like all the empires do. Right. And um yeah. Oh, In fact, it, I was reading from the great French mystic this morning, Simone Weil, and she says, oh. you know, when people do this, it's like, you're, you're, she says, it's taking the supernatural out of, uh, out of the human condition. Mm-hmm. And that's like hoping plants will grow without chlorophyll. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's an interesting <laughs> wow. way to see. I, don't, I won't look at the sun anymore, but right. I'm still going to produce fruit. Right. Well, it, it, and like I say, we've tried it before. You know, right. you look at the history of Russia. Mm-hmm. They go right. from kind of bad church in, in the 1800s mm-hmm. to a sort of humanist liberalism. But they, right. because they lose Christ, they move into progressivism and then nihilism. And then finally, they kill 60 million people in their gulags. Right. This took about 130 years to get to. I'm like, we really? We're going to do that again? So I'm very, very interested in retaining the, the great story because it's the one that brings life. Uh, the wounded God who can heal without malice or resentment or vengeance or violence. It is. Wow. So true. And 
you know, it's interesting because I came from more secular humanism background. And, you know, I mean, and it was, it was a stick your head in the oven existence because if, if we're all there is, I mean, it, it is meaningless and, and, uh, and there's no power. And even where we rally around good principles or whatever, and we start to glean our worth by not being that or being better than that. And when God has already established your worth. And so, um, and, and, and the fruit of that is such a spin out just on a personal level, on a relational level, on a purpose and meaning and level that, um, and, and that, and that is not sustainable. Um, we're just not created for that. We're created for a re- relationship with the one who adores us and adores us in the midst of our ugly. So that ugly can be transformed. And that has power because, because he's a person, not an it, not a thing, not a force, but a person that you're one with who's relentless at conforming you into his image. And he's the only one that can do it. And preach. Then, yeah. Sorry. But it's, <laughs> no, it's don't true. be sorry. It's that was, you're on fire. <laughs> such a, yeah. It, it is so breathtaking. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was just re- recently having a discussion with someone who uh, was commenting on a social media post and things and clearly very, very just bitter, just kind of came out. And, and I was just, you know, just kind of ministering a little bit about God and love and what have you. And, and he says, just so long as I don't have to look at the God in the Bible. And I'm like, Probably not a good time for you to go there right now because obviously she doesn't have the the, the, the filter to filter it in a way that's life giving. Um, but I, I do believe God is just calling us back so that we can enjoy the riches of everything that He's given us. Every everything we 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 get everything. I mean, it really is amazing. But starting with Him in the middle and the end with Him as a person, which is inexpressibly amazing so yeah Yeah. that's 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 beautiful i you know it's strange because that person would have a very clear conception of what they think they see in the bible Mm -hmm. and what but what in when i hear it um with the it's i want to call it a jesus lens but i need to be cautious about that because it's not like we're we're taking a lens and putting it over the Bible and seeing something that wasn't there. It's more like Jesus gives us a lens to see what is there. And so one, one crazy example of that is with the Jesus lens, I see a man who's like Conan the barbarian and his name is David. (laughs) So imagine David being this iron age, or Bronze Age, violent warrior king with a lot of blood on his hands, and he's sort of an expert at killing everybody. And and then he overpowers his enemies, and he's ruling. And somehow he gets these psalms start emerging from him. So I'm like, uh, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He redeems my life from the pit. and then he later he says, and this God. So imagine, remember what their gods were like back then. These are vicious deities 
We want to destroy people and demand appeasement through child sacrifice. Right. He comes along and he says um, that, that our God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, as far as the east is from the west. Okay, so when I hear someone say, I don't want to read the Bible, it's like, you don't want to read that? Right. What kind of what kind of amazing miracle is it for for Conan to say those things? <laughs> right. What a radical transformation! And right. then he becomes a, a one of the ancestors of Jesus, along with Rahab the harlot, who right. just like what an amazing amazing <laughs> story about this 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 woman who ends up in Jesus, Jesus genealogy. Grand, uh, let's see, David's great grandmother. Great yeah, yeah. Wow. So I, I just like, that's why I say, I, like, I gobble it up. I, re, I read these things as our story, not just old legends, but like, I know these people. I've seen guys, murderers come out of jail and be transformed. I've seen women come off the street and become heroes of faith. Oh, God's still doing this stuff. That's Do you want to read about yourself? Right. <laughs> and they're like, no right. way. So. Right. Maybe I, it's just Christians got old and bored or something, but I, yeah. I think people who see it with fresh eyes, there's oh, life there. It's so true. And if you're bored, I mean, there's no person in the universe who's more intoxicatingly fascinating than the person of Christ. And so if you think there's something better <laughs> and he's boring, we've just disconnected ourselves from our life source functionally, right? We've disconnected ourselves as you remain and hit me and he knew you will bear much fruit. Well, apart from it, you can do nothing. So we're in the nothingness, the Netherlands or something, the other world or whatever of nothingness when we disconnect ourselves from the one we're in union with and that we were made for it. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's so, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And just how kind he is, because even in my own story, when I was, you know, really running full tilt away from him, you know, he's right there. Honey, whenever you're ready, I'm, I'm here, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm here just wooing, 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 wooing until we can start to come to our senses again in whichever ways that we have become senseless and yeah. uh, just be reawakened to that. Yeah. It's amazing. I suppose we sound like crazy people, but you know, really uh, to those who, for whom you and I might right now might sound kind of naive or, 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 you know, romanticizing or something. It's like, no, it's bottom line is, is belonging or alienation. And, and I know where I'm at right now. Um, how's your belonging going? How's your alienation right. going? How's that working um, for you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, what are you turning from? Do you turn from love every day or do you turn mm -hmm. toward love every day? And you want, you want to know how to do that. And, and how do you turn toward love when you've been hurt? And it, again, it's the Jesus story of reconciliation. And he it, just takes it to the nth level. And it, it's, um, it, that kind of love is a force more powerful than anything I've encountered elsewhere. The rest feels a bit anemic and naive to me. It, it's true. Well, and, and, and the thing that's so amazing is that this is not, you know, I, I know a bit of your testimony. You've been through hell and back a couple times. Uh, I've been through hell and back a couple times. And the only thing, the only thing that pulled me out into sanity was the person of Christ. And so this is the God that I know that resonates in my heart, that loved me and gave himself up for me in the midst of just ugly, ugly. And he's the one 
that is able to pull us back. So this is not, you know, la la land. No, this is actually wake up to, um, transcendent reality. Um, and, and so that can meet you in the midst of your hell and the hellish experience of humanity in toto and then as an individual. So that's that transformative power. So if we just happen to be in love with this person, not going to apologize for that. Um, and then seeing him in, in, in the word that points to him as the word, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's breathtaking and, and it is transformative and we were made for it. We were made for it. Yeah. So love that. Well said. Have you written on this? I, I, I need um, to read about this. More. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, um, you know, I, I, I have, I probably, I, I have one book that I've written. I mean, I've written several books, but one book, I'll, I'll be happy to send you a copy of that. It's called Marked by Love. Um, and I, and I, um, you know, probably in that context, you know, I like to say that we were marked by love before we were marred by anything else, like our original design and everything else is, um, is, is a secondary. So God's ability to redeem original design is, is breathtaking. I'm, I'm in the middle of writing something called redeeming beauty. And it's not, it's, it's, it's just about beauty is not a, like a, you know, the way we use it in popular culture today. It's about the beauty of the person who is holy and whole and beautiful. And he's redeeming all things and he's drawing it to himself in breathtaking, sweeping ways um, that sometimes are so large, we can't see it. And sometimes kind of covert, we can't see it. But, you know, when he said that we would be one, even as he and the father are one, well, how one is Jesus and the father? So we get that union with him. We get that union with one another where we're splintering out over cray cray things, you know, but that's his empowering ability. And, and we can lean our whole being in that and allow him to work that in us and be part of the conduit that he's moving through. But yeah, it's, it's, you know, I'm pretty speechless. Like I, I, I don't know how to express that because it's so huge and breathtaking. I just know it changes lives. It's changed my life. And so I can't talk, yeah. stop talking about it. Yeah. That's good. I hope you never do. I, the, um, cause on the one hand it's ineffable, but on the other hand, you do communicate it really well. Oh. And so I, uh, and I, I really feel like this is part of a revolution about how we see God and people when you start talking about original design, original, mm-hmm. you know, that, um, that, that people aren't fundamentally flawed. They are fundamentally precious. Yes. And, you know, even on, um, even on Father's Day, I, my son Justice was chatting with me in, and I'm, he just said some super gracious things to me. And I'm like, that, that's so gracious. That's such a gracious way of talking about someone who's so flawed. And, and he goes, Dad, it's, it's not flawed. You're weathered. <laughs> and I'm like, that is, that, that may be optimistic, but it's also super kind, right? And so, um, and, and, and I suppose in some ways that, through through great fault of our own, the human race is, is a weathered species. But we are. Um, God was not. Um, 
God was not above descending into that and identifying right. with it and dignifying what it is to be human and saying, I, I, in fact, I can, I'm going to perfect what it is to be human. So beautiful. And, uh, and, and I'm going to attach myself to you in a way that, that restores you and, and heals the bruises and cleans up. You know, it, it's very much, um, again, here's the gospel in a nutshell in the, parable of the the good samaritan um that christ is the good samaritan who found us people in the ditch and he's right. you know when others walked by he he found us and um as unpopular as the church can be it's like well of course the church is terrible if if we're any good at inviting sinners <laughs> then who do you think will be with us right and but but then he even he brings the wounded guy to the inn yes. and he's and he transforms a, a hotel into a hospital and he says i'm gonna i'm gonna deliver this half dead guy here and i'm going to apply oil and wine this is the spirit and the eucharist mm-hmm. and and i'm going to leave him with you to take care of and when i return oh there's the hint the good Samaritan's him in the first right? place. And he says, when I return, if, you know, uh, if there, if, if I owe you anything, uh, like I'll, I'll pay you all back, you know, right. but, but I'm just telling oh. you, I'm giving, I'm leaving you everything you need to do this with each other. And really, does he even leave us? That That's a, a side, right. a side right. bar. But, but there it is again, that, that, um, of course, of course, the, the people of God are a messy bunch because that's who's supposed to be there. Exactly. I mean, people are a messy bunch. The people that are, quote unquote, not of God. <laughs> are, I mean, people are messy. <laughs> By definition, we all, I mean, we, we just, we all need a savior. But it's so beautiful that he's entrusted us to be able to minister to one another. And I, I know all about spiritual abuse and the toxic church and yada, yada, yada. I get it. And I'm not trying to discount that. But the church is also beautiful. And it's his bride. And we get to minister to one another in life-giving ways as his hands, his feet, his heart, all of that. And, you know, that's what you're doing whenever you do these interviews and write all your book. I mean, that is life-giving. And we may be flawed vessels, but we're adored flawed vessels who are also being conformed to the, to the image and likeness of Christ. And how masterful is Holy Spirit at his job, at her job, right? Conforming us. So we can just lean in in the midst where we haven't, you know, I, yeah, that hasn't conformed. Okay. That's really bad. Okay. Help me Jesus there. Okay. We're, we're aware. Um, but God's value for humanity is so great. He became one for eternity, right? I mean, that's just, it's mind blowing. And then he entrusts us to help one another. And that, you know, that, that's amazing. So we get to be instruments of this redemptive process while being redeemed in that process, you know, and that's what an honor. Like he values us so much greater than we value ourselves. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yay, we are, oh, I can't believe it. We're, we're at the top of the hour and I want to honor your time. Bradley, thank you so much for coming aboard. Let us, let, let everybody know how they can find your book, resources. How do we find Bradley? Sure. Maybe the easiest way is to go to bradjersack.com and then from there, you know, they can 
subscribe to my blog from there. They can find links to I'm on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Um, as far as as far as my books, there should also be a bookstore there that really just links you to the publishers or to Amazon. Um, the only glitch in finding me sometimes is if you go on Amazon, you have to look for Bradley and Brad. They won't treat it me <laughs> as one person. <laughs> so uh, uh, I, I I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens when this new book comes out. I'm hoping it will cause a bit of a stir for people to pick their Bibles up again and open them up and, and enjoy what they, Absolutely. how they encounter them, mm-hmm. um, how they encounter Christ on the stage of the drama yes. you know, and so see their gorgeous. own part in it. We get to gobble it up again. Yes. Yes. And spread it on toast if you want. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you, Bradley. I will put the, um, the website, uh, information on that and then probably a link to your, uh, new book as it comes out, maybe on Amazon or however that is. Um, yeah. Well, definitely find, find Bradley. I know. Are you working on any other projects after this? Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm writing a book right now. Um, we, we don't have a working title anymore, <laughs> but the idea is that it's, it's in, it's part of a, a number of books coming out right at, right now about yeah. after deconstruction. <sighs> Thank and, you. And, Thank yeah, you. What do we and, do now? <laughs> yeah. Now what? And, mm-hmm. um, what I'm going to contribute to it, it, it is a bit bringing in some of the historic voices who, who saw this coming mm-hmm. and who had critiques of how we're doing it today and wisdom for how to get through it in a positive way. And so I'm really, I'm, I'm relying on some of the voices of, of, you know, historic greats, but, and then also just noticing that as the gospel emerged from people enslaved in Egypt, people in exile in Babylon, people under occupation in Galilee by Rome's armies, so too now, some of the hints for how to see it are coming from those who've been marginalized and who, let's say, um, the black theology of the 20th century. And folks are going like, why haven't they, why haven't they renounced the faith of their slave owners yet? You know, it's like, because they encountered the God who comes down to those who are groaning in slavery. They've seen something we didn't. So I'm very interested in, in marginal voices and how they, they, um, connect with those ancient voices uh, of the Jewish experience. Wow. Wow. I'm, I think God is too. I think he's very interested in those voices. So that's, that's yeah. gorgeous. Well, wonderful. We, we look forward to more coming from, from you, Bradley. And I hope you'll come back some, sometime. Thank you for coming on. I would love to. We'll see you again sometime. Yeah, sounds good. All right, everybody, share this with someone who needs it. I know there's lots of people who need this, so this is your opportunity to help others be able to uh, grab a hold of maybe some things they've let go. So thank you, and have an amazing day. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Perspectives with Catherine Toon. For additional information and resources, please visit catherinetoon.com.